Hey friends, this is Ashley coming to you before this episode starts. I just wanted to let you all know that I have a newsletter. It's also called Boss Barista and you can find all of our episodes along with full transcripts and articles about each episode at the newsletter. So go to bossbarista.substack.com and all of this stuff will just end up in your email. It's kind of like magic. So again, bossbarista.substack.com to find all of these episodes along with additional content. Thanks for listening and on to the show. Hey friends, welcome to Boss Barista, the podcast about workplace equity and employee empowerment in coffee and beyond. I'm Ashley Rodriguez. You've probably seen a movie or television show that depicts baristas in a not so nice light. If I asked you to conjure a picture of a barista in your mind, you might find yourself pulling from certain tropes. Maybe you're thinking a dude with a man bun and facial hair, ready to make you feel bad or confused about your coffee order. I can even hear this person in my head. Customer walks in, orders a macchiato, and this fictional barista says something like, well, actually, a traditional macchiato is, and then spends 10 minutes explaining why your order is wrong. Morgan Eckroth is the opposite of that. They're the force behind Morgan Drinks Coffee, a collection of social media platforms that both explain coffee concepts and make light of the silliness of coffee. Morgan started on TikTok, making short little videos where they play both the role of the customer and the role of the barista. What Morgan achieves in their videos validates the experience of both actors. It can be frustrating to be a barista and work a service job and answer wild questions. But it can also be confusing and weird to be a customer in a coffee shop with complex menus and hard to discern tasting notes. In a way, all of it's kind of ridiculous, and Morgan's videos cut right through this inherent tension. Morgan is also the 2022 United States Barista Champion, bringing along her hundreds of thousands of followers along for the ride as they prepped and competed. When the organizing board who runs the competition announced that they would not be live streaming this event, effectively making it impossible for those not at the competition to watch, Morgan decided to live stream the event on their own. As the winner, Morgan will go on to compete at the World Barista Championships later this year and will continue to bring the positivity and lightness that pours through their videos in order to make coffee information more accessible to others. Here's Morgan. So let me have you start by introducing yourself. So my name is Morgan Eckroth. I am (laughs) most often found online under the the moniker of Morgan Drinks Coffee. Uh, I do YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram. And I've also been working as a barista for the past five years. I always start these interviews in the same place. And I was wondering if you could tell me if you grew up with coffee in your life. Do you have any childhood memories of coffee? 
I actually, funnily, I, I don't. I grew up in a family that doesn't drink or didn't drink any coffee. And, and to this day, they don't drink any coffee. I, I frequently say that it was kind of my act of teenage rebellion to be a coffee drinker um, at the age of 16 when I got my driver's license. I like the first thing I did, I think, was like drive to a coffee shop for the first time. God, I'm trying to think the first thing I did when I got my license. <laughs> I don't think it was driving to a coffee shop. <laughs> my uh, my act of teenage rebellion was was pretty mild <laughs> when it comes down to it. It's funny when you set certain expectations within a household or even just within your life and then you break mm-hmm. out of those expectations and then you're like, oh, wow, my act of rebellion was pretty, pretty <laughs> mild. I was like, that wasn't nearly as dramatic as I meant it to be, I don't think. <laughs> but you must have felt like it was at that moment. Yeah, it was a uh, it was definitely one of those things that I kind of wanted to to be my own. Part of it was convenience of like, I was a student and needed a place to study and wanted to be out of the house because I was a teenager. And then also there was this kind of world of coffee where I was looking at these baristas and I'm like, they're so cool. I want to be like them. And so I just kind of stumbled my way into a specialty coffee cafe and very awkwardly started ordering very, very sugary and delicious drinks. And it's kind of all history from there. Do you remember the moment where you decided beyond this teenage rebellion moment that like, Mm -hmm. oh, this is something that I want to do, or this is something I want to learn about or be part of? I can't remember a a very, very specific moment. I do, however, remember the the time period of, I think about two years from when I started drinking coffee to when I got my first barista job that I I knew that I wanted to be a barista. Like that was my, that was my end goal. I was like, I'm going to go to college. I want to work as a barista and do like that sort of thing. Um, And I I started applying to this coffee shop that I was, it was actually, uh, it's called Tried and True. It was actually my very first coffee job ever. But I remember being 16 and just kind of having this inkling that I wanted to do what the people behind the bar were doing. And so I, of course, I showed up with my resume and like a really awkward cover letter. And I was like, please hire me. And of course, I'm like a high school student, like zero qualification, zero availability, anything. And they were like, yeah, no, but keep trying because maybe eventually throughout those two years, I, I think I applied multiple times and it, it wasn't even with the intention of getting a job. It, I really was just trying to be like, I want to work here really, really badly. And I want you all to know that. And then finally they said yes. And I think it was that very first shift when I got behind bar and they started teaching me things that I was like, oh yeah, this is as cool as I thought it was going to be. I love that that moment met your expectations. I remember like like grabbing the porta filter for the first time and then being like, okay, like put it here in the grinder and then the coffee comes out. And I was literally like, I felt like a superhero. I was like, I am on like, I am in heaven right now doing what I want to do forever. And uh, somehow that kind of has lasted for the past five years. It's funny that you tell this story this way too, because I feel like so many people when they come on the show and we have the conversation about how did you get into coffee? It's almost always, I fell into it or... I had nothing else to do or I was a student on campus and like the coffee shop was kind of cool. So I just sort of did it for a while. And it's so cool to see. I'm going to sound ancient as I say this, (laughs) but it's so cool to see like a a generation of people who see baristas and they're like, yes, that's what I want to do. I definitely annoyed my way into my first <laughs> into my first coffee job. And, and still to this day, I don't know exactly why it clicked as early as it did or what kind of drove me to it. But it was just kind of like that that gut instinct of being like, I, I think I, I think I want to do this. And once I got there, I was like, OK, yeah, I definitely want to do this. And I think I really lucked out with those two things syncing up as early in my life as they did. 
So as you mentioned earlier, you make content on TikTok, on YouTube, on Instagram. Let's give people a little bit of a backstory about how you got to that point. So at what point did you start, I guess, filming yourself, I guess is like kind of like the proto version of all (laughs) this, right? Totally. So I started my my content journey at the very, very baseline of it before I even knew it's something I wanted to do as a career. I started making TikTok videos in June of 2019. So TikTok as an app was still very, very fresh. It was nowhere near the mainstream adoption it has now. And it was an app that I'd like just kind of spent time on. Like I enjoyed it like as a consumer. It was about to be summer and I went, I'm bored and I want a project or like a hobby to do. And I was like, I, you know what? I'll try like making some videos. At the time I was getting, I was finishing up my marketing degree and it was my goal at that time to go into some aspect of like either digital marketing or like social media marketing in like the coffee, food and beverage space. That was my end goal. Um, and so I was kind of like, well, if I can start to get a handle on some like new emerging platforms, if I can get a little bit of like the hard skills of video under my belt, that'd probably be pretty helpful in the future. I kind of stumbled upon making videos about coffee just naturally. I I worked quite a bit when I was in college. And so I was at my job most of the time. I really loved my job. And I was like, I'll just make videos about coffee. And then they started to do well. And that was a a true shock. (laughs) It was very surprising to me. Um, And so I just kind of leaned into it. I was having a lot of fun making videos about latte art. And then I kind of stumbled upon like, oh, I can make you know, kind of funny videos about barista experiences. Um, and it just kind of escalated from there. Like they just, they started to take off and I, I started to take it more seriously as I went. Do you remember the first video where it felt like a sea change, like something clicked or something really changed for you? So my my first couple kind of like, for lack of a better word, viral videos were like very silly. I think I I, uh, I have this party trick where I can do like a pretty impressive backbend and like that went viral. So that was like non-coffee. I remember the first coffee video I posted that did really well. It was, it was literally just me. It was just no sound or pardon me, no like music, just me standing at the bar, like pouring a latte, like stuff you see on Instagram all the time. And I just had the video. So I was like, I'll just, I'll just post it. I remember posting it as I got off my shift. And then I went and ate dinner, didn't think about it. And I like came back a couple hours later to, to just like scroll through TikTok like usual. I remember opening it up and being like, this video has 400,000 views, like out of nowhere. <laughs> I was like, this is, this is like completely out of the realm of like possibility of what I expected. Um, and that was like a, a truly shocking moment. Cause it really was over the course of like two hours that this video grew like that. And people were excited by it. I mean, like in my world, latte art is like something you kind of do every day. So it wasn't that special to me, but it was really, really cool to see that it was special to other people. And I was like, what else can I show them that I do every day that they might be interested in? It's funny to reflect on those moments where you're like, I do something like this every day. And this is so fascinating to people. I was on a podcast recently. And I think we talked about the stuff that I write about and labor organizations and unions. And at the very end of the conversation, I gave a tip about like how to pour a heart into yeah. a lot. It, it like just just a heart because I was like everyone likes a heart. Like don't even mess with anything. It's classic. It's yeah. classic. It's classic. And I could tell that was like one of the most interesting parts of the conversation. And I'm like I've poured at least a hundred thousand hearts in my life. Like it's something that like I could like live and breathe. So it's really fascinating to reflect on those moments and figure out like wow, 
things that I find so normal and regular like are really fascinating to people especially because like as baristas like there isn't really like I don't know like there is some like alchemy in in a way to like what we do like we have like these raw ingredients and then suddenly you have a delicious drink like how does this happen yes like you're making like a potion behind the bar. <laughs> right. At what point did you feel like you were refining your message in your videos? Because what I find so fascinating about your videos, and we have emailed about this, is that so Morgan has these videos and she plays like both parts. Like they there's the customer and there's the barista. Sometimes there are more than one character, which I love. I love when you're two different <laughs> customers. That makes me really happy. Um, but I think what you do really well is that you validate both experiences. Like you're never really mad at the customer, mm-hmm. but you're also not mad at the barista. And I think there's a really easy tendency in coffee to juxtapose customer and barista as opposing forces. But you seem to validate both the frustrations that both characters have while making both totally valid. When did that start becoming clear to you? Yeah, it was something that was pretty important to me from day one. I mean, honestly, it kind of just leads into how I how I approach my my job as a barista. You know, this like from from your experiences, being a barista can be really hard. You can deal with some of the the weirdest, you know, most awful things happening to you just over the course of your job. With that context, I've I've come into my job and through all the stuff that I've experienced, kind of looking at everything through the lens of humor. I mean, like I, at least for me personally, whenever, you know, you have a a customer that's being particularly difficult or perhaps angry at you, I think it's really easy to take that personally as in like, they are angry at me as a person when, when very rarely, I think that is true. I think it's often they are, they're already having a bad day and you just happen to be the person in front of them. But I also find like sometimes I think we get we get very, very serious with the sort of interactions we have when I think more often than not, they're just kind of funny. Like we're we're a we're a little part of people's everyday lives. And it is at the kind of cafe level, like it's a cup of coffee. <laughs> and I think often there are so many like theatrics and dramatics involved in it. That is it's very, very funny for the level of seriousness that it's it actually is. And so when I was making my videos, I, I really wanted to kind of touch on the the ridiculousness of like, you know, how dramatic these cafe scenarios happen. But at the same time, I, I did very much want to respect both the, the customer and the barista experience because I think more often than not, any sort of friction and, you know, stuff that happens between barista and customer is, is mostly born out of just like perhaps a lack of, of knowledge and or context as to what the barista is doing. And that's not necessarily at the fault of the customer. Like you can't expect them to, you know, know every single, you know, core value that we have in specialty coffee. But that being said, it can still be very funny. So I was like, I'd like to kind of poke fun at these things that happen. Um, but at the same time, I wanted to have this angle of like, you know, while it is silly, we don't want to be driving people away. Like the goal is to is to bring them to specialty coffee and to value coffee at the same level that like I do. So so how do we get from point A to point B? And I think a lot of that um, is just acknowledging that there is kind of like a knowledge gap and then kind of working through it with something that is relatable. And I think frequently that's humor. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of where I came from. I love that so much because I think that you identified so many hurdles we faced in the coffee industry. And as I was looking at your profile and reading some of the interviews that you've done recently, I was struck by the fact that you said that you make coffee content for everybody, 
you don't make coffee content for coffee people. Not not to say yeah. that you, they're excluded by any means, but that they're part of the conversation. And I think for a long time, I mean, I struggle with this. I make a podcast that I don't think anybody outside the coffee industry listens to. <laughs> they but <should> we did though. <laughs> I, you know, one day, fingers crossed. But I. I think that we've done a lot of that in the past where we're speaking to the choir. We're kind of speaking to the same people over and over. And I think coffee has kind of struggled with this hurdle of getting to consumers in a way that feels safe and accessible yeah. and doesn't feel like this barista is going to be mad at me. Like I, I'm sure you've seen the hipster barista meme, which I'm like obsessed <laughs> with right now. Um, I've been trying to find a way to write I have an article coming out in Standart about the hipster barista yeah. meme because it's so fascinating to me. It is a classic. <laughs> it's a classic, but it's like, that is the perception that a lot of people have of yeah. what being a barista is. And I would posit if we had like a scale of hipster, bar like if we had a scale of like how we feel about baristas, like hipster barista would be on one end. And I would say that you're on the other. Well, thank you. That's a huge compliment. Uh, <laughs> I always, I always kind of hope that is the case, um, but I can, I can never be sure. You know, you never know how other people are perceiving like what you're making. But it seems like you get a lot of positive feedback from people. I mean, you can't equate like likes necessarily with positivity all the time. Sure. But I imagine when you're engaging with people through your videos, or you see comments, or you're engaging with people on other platforms. There is a moment where you're like, oh, this is landing with people. This is this is sharing an experience. I've been really grateful to kind of cultivate the following that I currently have. I think what you said is exactly true. I uh, I have somehow ended up with a with a, a pretty healthy community as far as like online communities go. I think it's it's very easy to kind of cultivate, you know a community that is comfortable with like kind of like doggy piling on people or, or punching down on people. And, uh, we, we have these discussions a lot about whether it is a creator's responsibility to, you know, kind of maintain control over their audience or whether it is, you know, you can't, you can't control an audience. Like they'll do what they want regardless of the creator. And I, I have always been very much of the opinion that, uh, a creator, is, you know, to some extent responsible for their audience's actions, because I do very much believe that what you put out there as a creator, the, the, the tone you use, the, the kind of, for lack of a better word, kind of like energy you put out there will be reflected in how your audience both reacts and what they do with the information you're presenting them. And so I, I came into making content kind of with that opinion. And I've always tried to do my best, you know, to varying levels of success, but I've always tried to do my best to kind of cultivate an audience who is, who is accepting of kind of like all things coffee. I mean, um, I come to my platform with a lot of love and just passion for coffee. Um, and I want that to be like replicated in my audience. I don't want to have an audience that is going to go out to other creators and kind of like, you know, blast my opinions at them as something that is fact, because very frequently it is not. Um, I, uh, I just wanted it to be a, a very fun place full of people who want to have fun with coffee. And I think I've, I've finally kind of reached that point with my audience. Um, and so we have a good time together online, which is which is a really, really cool thing to say. You said that you finally reached that point. So I imagine that there's some learning and figuring it out as you as you went along. 
Absolutely. There was actually, I, uh, I can, I can pinpoint one, one kind of direct experience to it, um, is when I started on YouTube. So I, I had started on TikTok, as I mentioned before, I was very, very comfortable with short form content and with short form content, there it tends to be a slightly younger audience. You tend to be hitting more the kind of like the 18 to 24 year olds. Um, but when you move to YouTube, especially when talking about coffee, you start to get a little bit of a different demographic, at least to my knowledge, a majority of the YouTube audience who watches um, a lot of specialty coffee, like long form content, tends to skew a little bit more towards the male demographic. And it also tends to skew a little bit older in age, which makes sense because like, you know, the cost of being invested into doing coffee things and buying coffee equipment is a lot higher than what most, you know, young people can afford. So when I came onto YouTube, I was suddenly kind of faced with this very, very different audience who I think was just expecting something different from me. I mean, they were they were looking for a certain level of information and kind of dissection of topics that I, I just didn't want to give because I think that kind of initial like higher level can make it a little bit hard for people to jump into specialty coffee. I very much viewed myself as like kind of a, a stepping stone to those sorts of kind of what I view as like kind of higher level creators. Um, and so it was very much like a back and forth of my my new audience of being like, hey guys, I know what you want from me. That is that is not what I'm going to be giving you, at least not all the time. And so there was a little bit of friction there of kind of dealing with frustration from audience members. Uh, but ultimately, I just kind of like held held strong to my guns. Um, and eventually, there was kind of this mutual understanding of people who didn't want to consume my content. Just finally was like, okay, I can leave. And I was like, no worries. You know, there are other people who make the kind of content you want. Um, and then the people who enjoyed my content kind of found their way to me. And now we're in a, in a very happy place together. I like that you were able to create some boundaries around what you wanted to create. I did an interview with James Hoffman and he mentioned basically saying like, there are things I'm going to create and there are things I'm not going to create and being pretty comfortable with that. And I think that took him some time too. Um, and it's really encouraging to hear you kind of say that same thing of like, I don't have to give people everything. It's okay for me to say, this is what I want to do. And if you want to be part of this ride, that's awesome. If you don't, you're always welcome back. But like, you don't have to consume this content. Exactly. It's, it's sometimes it can be a little bit painful because you want to give people what they're asking for. But at the same time, I also knew... Um, from my own level of knowledge that like I wasn't qualified to talk about a lot of topics that people were asking for. It was a lot of people being like, do this, do this. And I'm like, look, if I, if I try to cover this topic, I'm going to do a disservice to it. So I would, I would kind of always try to do my best to like point them in the right direction. And frequently that is like to James or other, you know, established content creators. I'm like, Hey, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about this, but the good news is there are a ton of amazing resources about it already. So go over there and enjoy and enjoy those and then come back for the things I am going to talk about. Did you find it ever difficult to kind of separate the personal from like Morgan drinks coffee, the character and not to say that this is a character you're playing. I mean, you kind of are in, no, but in, some, it is in some aspect. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever like have to draw a line for yourself of like, I need to put down my phone or like, I need to not respond to this message or like, I need to just like cultivate like a safe place for myself that maybe doesn't exist. Yeah. 
to consume for others. No, completely. That is the the ongoing struggle. I think I'm a lot better about creating that separation nowadays than I used to be. But it is it is tr- tricky when you're a you're a content creator, but also someone who enjoys spending time online. I remember like two years ago, I think when I was like starting to really get into it, going online to just consume content for my own enjoyment became very very difficult because I would open up TikTok and I wouldn't think. I'm going to just have like a nice 30 minutes, like enjoying videos. It was immediately like I am being faced with my job. Um, and it got really hard to kind of plug out of my job and just be like, I'm just me on my time off. I think when you're a content creator, um, and especially like any sort of person who's like self-employed or freelance, you become your own boss. And that's kind of dangerous because you're not always that good at setting boundaries for yourself. So nowadays I have, I have a lot of good systems and supports in place to kind of know when to get myself online. Um, And I've also, you know, kind of cultivated myself a lot of hobbies that are (laughs) unmonetized and un-online. Sometimes I think in the creator space, it's really easy to be like, oh, I have this hobby, but I could monetize it. And and then it becomes a job. It's no longer a hobby. And so I've, I've found things like for me, reading and writing are like my true hobbies. Like those do not exist really on the internet in any way. That's something that's I've kept special to me. And that's been super helpful as well in creating that sort of division. So let's talk about this very big thing that happened to you. (laughs) (laughs) What can we be talking about? No big deal, whatever. So you won the 2022 United States Barista Competition. Let's take a moment to celebrate that. (laughs) I have like my jazz hands up, which like doesn't make any sense because we can't see each other. Let's I kind of want to work backwards from from that moment. What was it like when? Oh, my gosh, it was like shocking. Truly, I uh, I've been thinking back to that moment a lot. I I have a lot of like footage and videos and like photos from those kind of like 30 seconds between the announcement and like walking up on stage. Um, and it was just, I think it was an overwhelming feeling of just like joy and relief for the past, you know, I've, I've competed now for, for a couple of years to very varying levels of success in 2020. Uh, when I competed in qualifiers, I did not do as well as I wanted to. I didn't do as well as I thought I was going to do. And so I left competition that year feeling really like bad about myself. Honestly, like it was kind of, it's competitions always been something that's kind of pushed me, I think in my career path. And I've always really valued that. So to like leave feeling like I had kind of failed myself was something that took a long time to kind of come to terms with. So coming into this year, it was very much about like proving myself wrong that I wasn't kind of stuck at this level that I thought I was at to be in the finals. Even just finding out that I was in the finals was like, shocking and amazing and then to be I remember they were like counting down all the names um and it came to the the last two of us and we were standing back there just like hugging like I think both of us were probably on the verge of like a panic attack um just waiting for the announcement and then it it came um and I think I just kind of like let go of all that kind of like a little bit of like self-resentment and like frustration at my past failures like it all just kind of like came out in that final moment I would have never guessed that you were carrying those moments of self-resentment that was a really interesting way to put it because I think that like I don't know I don't I've competed a couple of times and I've I've thought about those moments too of like what I could have done better like I um I still feel resentful for myself of making mistakes (laughs) that like I feel like I shouldn't have but at the same time like I would have never guessed probably had no control of it did you realize that did you realize that you were holding on to this feeling of self-resentment 
I, uh, I I don't think I did really until afterwards. I, I had a little inkling of it coming into uh, when I when I found out that I was competing. I kind of had this minute where I sat back and I was like, I need to get into a healthy headspace. I was like, not that I wasn't at the time, but I was like, it is going to be really, really important that I am really steadfast in what I'm doing this year, especially with the kind of inherent like audience I was bringing with me. Like no matter whether I chose to publicize that I was competing or not, my audience would have kind of figured it out at some point. Um, and so it was like, it, w- it was tricky to come to terms with like the fact that I needed to kind of prove something to myself. But additionally, I was bringing a really strong audience with me that if I felt like I did poorly, or if I like legitimately did poorly, there would, I would, I would not hear the end of it for a very long time, not necessarily a bad way, but it would, it would stick with me much more so than previous years. So it was, it was a lot of kind of personal pressure that I applied to myself this year. Um, and I, I'm very glad it all worked out. And I, I do not want to think about uh, kind of the <laughs> the process I would have had to do to decompress hadn't it worked out so well. Yeah, that must have been a huge decision that you had to make. It wasn't just competing for yourself or the company that you worked for. You were competing mm-hmm. almost on behalf of your audience. No matter what, I, I do everything I do in coffee and online nowadays with the context that I have a lot of people watching, which is really fun and definitely an honor, but at the same time, very scary. And so I had to make the decision very early on with my routine of, am I going to involve my audience or am I just going to kind of let them vicariously view this when I want them to. And I think the best possible outcome for everyone was to have them involved along the way. So they could at least kind of understand the, like the magnitude of preparation that goes into it. And for them to like have a fun time with barista competitions, um, because they're, they're very strange. They're very weird, as you've said before yourself. And I fully agree. Um, and so I was like, well, if I can like explain this weird thing, maybe we can all come away with some knowledge more so than just the results of the competition. There are so many layers to your your competition win. Like there's <laughs> the fact that you had this decision before you even applied to think, mm-hmm. are these folks going to come with me? Am I going to put this on my channel? Am I yeah. going to just do it in stealth mode? And then like, be surprised, <laughs> here's all the stuff I did. But then yeah. there's that second level of, okay, if they're coming with me, how do I cultivate content for them so they can understand what's happening for people who probably have no idea what this weird thing is for sure and then on a third level you made your routine about your audience about sharing with people you made your drink specifically in a way where people could make it at home and you made a video that was like here's my drink and here is how you make it yeah I have to imagine that that took so much planning (laughs) <laughs> it uh it was a it was an interesting challenge you know logistically it was <laughs> it was you know it was it was good and bad i wouldn't have changed a thing about it but i will say it added a little bit extra stress to the prep because we were releasing these videos you know kind of going into deep dives about the different components in my presentation while we were actively preparing so we released a full video about how to freeze distilled milk and why we nowadays do that a lot in competition and what it tastes like and what drinks i was doing and the minute that video was uploaded you kind of like check the box and you're like, well, we're using freeze distilled milk. Right. Like, we can't change it now. And it, it, it posed a very interesting challenge for us, especially at the end. Uh, we actually changed my my signature beverage, the ingredients pretty significantly. We had a, a different version of it we'd been working with for like a couple weeks. Um, and then about like 
two or three days before we left for Boston, we were like, we need to change it like this. We need to improve this. And so I, I filmed my video about my signature drink. I think it was like less than 24 hours before we got on the plane for Boston. I was like frantically sending it off to my editor. And then we were like frantically trying to upload it on like really bad Wi-Fi. Um, so it was, it was a really interesting challenge in that sense. But at the same time, there was a little bit of relief in like checking those boxes. I mean, like we're using freeze distilled milk. We literally can't change it now. So at least we can like move past that step of prep. Yeah, there is some relief in being able to make a decision and just stick with it. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Have you reflected much? I know that I've asked you about this, but have you reflected much about what your win means? Like, I don't know that anybody else winning with an audience like yours would, 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 I don't want to say it doesn't mean anything. That's not true. But like, it just means something different because you brought like, a whole audience with you. I, I talked very briefly with one of the the head judges after all the announcements, like as we were leaving the venue the final night, and they said something that that meant a lot to me and was you know, <laughs> I was I was crying a lot that night, but hearing what they said kind of pushed tipped me over the edge a little bit more because it was really it was the goal of the entire thing. Um, was that they said that they don't think they'll know kind of the impact of like my routine. Um for another couple of years as, you know, hopefully we start to see the competitor landscape shift and change. I started off this year when I, when I found out I was competing, not with the intention of winning, like I'm competitive, obviously I wanted to do well, like all of that stuff. Um, but more so I wanted to create something that could kind of act as a resource for potentially new competitors. If, if not, you know, it's not, it's my process. It, it shouldn't be there is that everyone's process is different, but I at least wanted to, to lay a little bit of a foundation for people who might want to compete, but have nowhere to start to, to hear that someone else had thought that I had maybe created something similar to that, um, was, was really emotional to me. Cause that, that more so than doing well, or even, you know, winning or anything was the overarching goal of the season. Um, and so I'm really excited, frankly, to see future seasons and to hopefully see like a shakeup in the type of competitors we see. And I am, I'm really excited that in the past couple of years, there's, there's been a really, really great push, um, to open it up to more people. And I'm just grateful to kind of be a part of that. Does The way that you talked about barista competitions being inaccessible and wanting to create information and give people a resource to turn to, was that informed by your past experiences? It was a little bit. Um, when I, when I competed for the very first time, I was, I was lucky enough, my bosses at the time, they had both competed in barista in previous years. Um, so I had a little bit of help from them as kind of like guidelines, but, but a lot of it, because, you know, they're busy They're They have lives, you know, and I, I'm the competitor. Like it, a lot of it falls on my shoulders to figure out. Um, it was a lot of me, like as like a, a very fresh, like 19 year old barista, like throwing stuff at the walls and just hoping I was doing the right thing. I, uh, I studied tons and tons of other competitors routines, but beyond that and looking over the rule book, there wasn't really any information about what I should be doing or shouldn't be doing. Um, so my hope was to kind of create a little like capsule of, of videos that could at least act for a starting point for someone like me back when I was like competing for the first time. And the idea behind barista competitions ideally is that like we're pushing coffee to kind of a new place. So we should yeah. be borrowing from people who did something that worked. We should be borrowing from people who did something really interesting and we should be able to access that, like be like, oh, they did this thing. This is how they did it. Let me try it. Hopefully that'll serve the coffee. Like that's the whole point. Yep. 
So what are you looking forward to as you prepare for the world competition, which luckily you have a little bit of a breather. It doesn't happen until September. (laughs) We're recording this in April. So like, what are you looking forward to maybe thinking about or retooling as you prepare for that? Honestly, I'm really excited to to sit down with my routine and really like dissect it. Um, I think the, I think the bones of my routine are probably going to stay roughly the same things like kind of the overarching theme, probably where we're getting our coffees from, like stuff like that. But this, this past season prepping for USBC went by so quickly. Like it was like, we had like barely two months, um, which is kind of nothing in the scale of competition, especially for like a, a full national level routine. And so everything that we did while while very intentional, you know, kind of had to happen like rapidly and we had to kind of stick to our guns on all of them. Uh, So I'm really excited to take like the next four months and really like go back on all the decisions we made and also look at my score sheets and kind of be like, were we happy with that? Can we, can we make it better? Or the things that, you know, didn't do as well. And I kind of had some shortcomings on, it's like, okay, how do we take these shortcomings? How do we bring them up to the level they need to be at and then take them, you know, that much further. So I think it's going to be honestly, a lot of really, really structured, like thoughtful time. And then beyond that, there's just a lot lot of like practice I need to do. I would like to be better at tasting, you know, myself personally, there are some technical things I need to be better at. So I'm excited to kind of just dive into those topics separately as well, because they're going to also elevate my routine for worlds. I think I've asked you a version of this question before, and I kind of want to end on it again, because I don't know, there's something, (laughs) there's something so precisely of this moment of where we're at in coffee and what the future of coffee can represent about you winning this competition. And, and that's a lot. I know that. I know that I just told you a lot of things and that's probably it's like a lot. scary and exciting it's, and terrifying. It's, it's, it's like all of the feelings at the same time. But yeah. like there's, there's something about like us wanting to be a more accessible industry that I think you represent. I think there's something about the fact that like we're not great at talking about coffee as an industry, but like some people are starting to claw out of that or starting to find ways to, to communicate that you being one of them. And, you know, when we think about who wins the USBC, obviously like there's a score sheet, there's points that you get and it's a point system. But at the same time, one of the things I think the judges are asked to do, especially when you get to like that top level is to really evaluate, like, is this person going to represent us? Because that's yeah. what that's ultimately what the U.S. barista champion is. They are a representative of the United States that will be going to the world competition and representing our country. And like they yeah. have to think about that, like who's going to encompass that role. And in a way, like it, it must and there must be something so like mind boggling and like almost I don't I don't want to say self-reflective because that's not the right word. But like, like, how do you how do you process all that? Or like, what do you think of it? Like when (laughs) when someone looks at you and they're like, that's the world or that's the U.S. barista champion. Like, what do you want them to to kind of take away from that? We uh we flew home from Boston and that was kind of like a very like grounding moment because you know you, you get back at home like I did all my COVID tests and then like I went back to work and it was like this weird moment of coming back to what used to be very normal and routine and and feeling like there is now this extra layer on top of it of of, of this title that I mean I I hold in in great respect and I, I know a lot of other people do and I'm I'm still trying to figure out what that means. You know, I was actually, I had to have a pretty, pretty lengthy talk with my coach because I was like sitting here like four or five days after competition being like the idea of making like a normal, like kind of like funny video seems so like 
it just seemed silly. I was like sitting here being like, I, I, I hit like a weird creative wall where I was like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do now. And uh, he kind of talked me through some really helpful stuff and kind of what it came down to what he was saying, he was like, don't look at what other champions have done. Don't try to put an expectation upon yourself of what you're supposed to do now because you are your own unique person and you do Morgan drinks coffee and whatever your next kind of future looks like kind of with this title um, is also through the lens of doing Morgan drinks coffee. That was something that was really helpful for me because it kind of like drew me out of my own head. And I was like, okay, we can, you know, there is this added level and title and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, like I want to continue pushing forward with talking about coffee and having a lot of fun with it. And I am really excited that there are potentially like, you know, some new people who are coming to it uh, and coming to me from this win. Uh, And that's really, really exciting. So that kind of got me over my creative hump and I'm really excited to, to continue pursuing forward with what I've been doing in the past. And I'm, I'm sure it will continue to evolve as we, as we continue forward in the next like two worlds. And then after that, but that being said, the core of what I want to do online still exists and I'm just going to push forward with it. Uh, (laughs) title, title be darned, you know? That was Morgan Eckroth the 2022 United States Barista Champion and the force behind Morgan Drinks Coffee. You can find Morgan on Instagram, on TikTok, on YouTube, and you can also go to their website, www.morgandrinkscoffee.com. A quick shout out, Morgan is actually a paid subscriber to this newsletter. So if you want to be like Morgan, please consider going to my newsletter, bossbarista.substack.com, and perhaps upgrading your subscription. If you can't do that, it matters a lot to get the word out by sharing posts, maybe sharing this interview with others, and commenting on each of the posts. Everything makes a difference. You never know who's going to see the information that they need to see just at that very moment. So please engage, subscribe if you can, and we will see you in two weeks. I'm just looking for a better day. Boss Barista is produced by me, Ashley Rodriguez. You can find a transcription of this episode on my newsletter, along with an accompanying article about this episode every Thursday at bossbarista.substack.com. To support the show, you can visit www.patreon.com slash bossbarista. We have over 80 patrons supporting the show right now, which is incredible. And that helps keep the show alive. We pay guests through this fund, we pay for website hosting, and we make donations. Half of our patron donations are currently pledged to five different nonprofits, each at $50 a month. Asada's Daughters, the Loveland Foundation, the Native American Rights Fund, the Grocery Run Club, and the Chicago Community Bond Fund. Again, if you want to support Boss Barista, consider making a monthly donation at www.patreon.com slash bossbarista. Another amazing way to support the show is to share this episode with just one person, a friend, someone who you think would learn something from this episode, anybody. Sharing on social media is also a huge help, along with giving us a five-star review on Apple iTunes. As a small production, these things matter a lot. 
So if you can take a little time, share out some of your favorite quotes from this episode and tag us, that would be amazing. We're at Boss Barista Podcast on Instagram and Boss underscore Barista on Twitter. You can also send me an email at bossbaristapodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week.